Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that Pastor Bill and Patty are out there enjoying themselves on a vacation. And like Pat says, it's almost an impossibility for our pastor to sit down. He's like the, um, uh, just keeps on going all the time, Lord, and, and serving you and everything he does, and as well as Patty also. So we'd like to thank you for the church that we have here. Thank you for all who have come today. And we pray to look into your word and let your word speak to us, Lord, in a great way. And may we learn exactly what it is that you want us to learn. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Just a little review from last week. Um, Chapter 1 pointed out some of the leadership qualities of Nehemiah. Great leader, incredible leader. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of preparation before asking the king for permission to go visit Jerusalem. He itemized the things that he needed before he even went. You know, good leaders like that. He had a big vision and a big goal. Didn't think small, he thinks big. He was humble, very, very humble. Um, Having a burden for the Jewish people, he had that for his own people. They were in in desperate need of something. And he identifies with the people he'll lead. He doesn't separate himself from it, you know. I mean, in leadership of any kind, uh, I was in the army, and I know that the best leaders uh, were the leaders that were with the men or women that they had to serve with. And, you know, they took everything, probably worked twice as hard in a lot of cases. But at the end of it, the objection, uh, the um, the object of what we were doing came, came forth. And he also had a servant's heart. That's a big issue. We've got to have a heart for a servant, not for people to serve us, but for us to serve them. So we'll go right into chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Verse 2-1, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. The cupbearer wasn't supposed to be sad because he didn't want to bring down the king. So he was always conscious of that, but he couldn't show that he was something that he wasn't was. So the last verse of Nehemiah 1 told us that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer, a significant position in the ancient time in the royal court. The cupbearer was a personal bodyguard, really, uh, to the king, being the one who tasted the wine and the food. And uh, before the king did, made certain no one could poison the king. It was put out there. It's a very, very... Um, important job. The position would make Nehemiah a man of great influence. And what we talked about in leadership is influence. And we all have influence. That's why we're all leaders. We can present the word of God to people and, and just give it out there and they can pick it up. So we are, we are leaders. We're called every one of us. Uh, the cup here was also a servant. It's another one. A good servant to the king, he was responsible. Responsibility is another quality. For choosing most of the foods and wines the king 
and his court would enjoy. So the cupbearer was also a trusted advisor. There's another quality. He was advising the king to the king since he was constantly in the king's presence. He was greatly trusted. It's another quality of a good leader, being greatly trusted. And a man of character. We all call it to be men and women of character as we present the word of God, as we stand before for Jesus and stand before each other. So it was natural the cupbearer would often be asked his opinion on different matters concerning the king. The king would probably say, hey, what do you think about this, Nehemiah? And then he'd open up and give him his opinion. So, and he had to be right most of the time because otherwise he'd get kicked out of the job, you know. So also we see in verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. That's significant that Nehemiah noted that specific day the events began here in chapter 2. So why was it so important for God to tell the date when these things happen? There's always a reason why dates come out. Uh, it was first to show that Nehemiah prayed and waited for four months with the kind of heart uh, described previously in Nehemiah 1, you know, an open heart. During those four months, Nehemiah prayed. Prayer was likely, Lord, either take this burden from my heart or show me how to be the man to answer the burden. Show me the way. You know, I need a path. I need a, a way from point A to point B. Um, the date is also important because it establishes the date given to restore Jerusalem and its walls. And when we look back in the word, Daniel 9.25 says that exactly 173,880 days from this day, which was March 14th, 445 B.C., Messiah the Prince would be presented to Israel. So, you know, it's, it's exact. Sir Robert Anderson, the eminent British mathematician, makes a strong case that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy exactly to the day, entering Jerusalem on April 6, 32 A.D., Precisely 173,880 days from what was called in Nehemiah 2.1. So additionally in verse 2.1, uh, he had never been sad in the presence before. He was afraid to. He showed that he could, you know, he, the king could do anything with him, basically. So it's an interesting statement that as he was dreadfully afraid of appearing this way, since in the courts of many kings it was common knowledge that it was forbidden for him to be this way, in the presence of the king. The idea was that the king was such a wonderful person that merely being in his presence was supposed to make you forget all your problems. <laughs> Can that be done easily? Not easy. So Nehemiah's condition could have been taken as a terrible insult to the king. How dare you come in looking like that, that kind of thing. So now the king says in verse 2-2, this is nothing but sorrow of the heart. This is a clue of how much he loves Nehemiah. Most kings would say, get out, but he has a connection with them. And, he's, and this is going to work for him, and it's going to work for Nehemiah in carrying out God's will. So this reveals that the king could visibly see that Nehemiah had something on his mind that was bothering him. And so the next thing was Nehemiah just kind of shut it down. And Nehemiah was afraid because he knew he was going to be the king for something important. Uh, Nehemiah understood it was not his place to change a king's heart. You know, he didn't go around for the past four months giving him hints. 
and how we work with each other sometimes. Oh, you know, I really like that 58 Corvette, you know, that's coming up for sale. You know, but he was leaving it up to the Lord. Why did I say 58 Corvette? I have no idea. But <laughs> so on this day, the Lord prepared the way for Nehemiah in his response to the king's statement. So now in verse 2-3, we see the response from the king. And said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates to burn with fire? So we see here, the city was in ruin. He was sad because Jerusalem was a destroyed and disgraced city. People looked down upon it, looked down the people that were there. They took advantage of them. They didn't have walls, they didn't have gates. You know, if we didn't have doors on our house, what would happen? Who knows who would be walking in your living room at 3 o'clock in the morning. Notice the great tact and wisdom. Two more qualities, tact and wisdom that Nehemiah has, of how he tells his concern without specifically mentioning the name of the city of Jerusalem. He doesn't bring it up, because that could cause some problems. Because the Persians and the Jews didn't get along very well. And um, because of that, you know, he, the Lord gave him a way to disguise it in a way. So the king would naturally have a bad association with the name Jerusalem, knowing from history, it was a city of rebelling against the Persians and resistant to their rule, like anybody would. Somebody come into the U.S. and they try to take us over, we wouldn't agree with them. We'd be coming against them. Nehemiah goes on to say in verse uh, 3, Why should my face not be sad? What other way should it be? And Nehemiah's reply was not only wise, another quality, but honest. One more. Not passing it off as, oh, I'm okay, or nothing's wrong. Or that's, that's not an honest answer. There was something wrong. So many people, many of us, are troubled by this dilemma sometimes. No one wants to be a whiner, boring other people with our problems, when the other person may only be asking out of common courtesy or concern or love. On the other hand, we know that the tremendous value that can be in sharing our concerns with someone else who can pray with us and perhaps share some wisdom in the Bible. But one way to live in this kind of honesty is to seek out others whom we know and trust and share with them our struggles and our needs, you know. Um, but if we don't know a person well enough to feel conf confident sharing our personal life, we can still ask them to pray for us in general. Say, you know, I need prayer. And the Lord will lead the Lord will make it a, he knows what you're praying for, what that person's praying for. Uh, they don't need to know all the details to pray because God knows all the details, knows every bit. It's not a surprise when we pray or talk to the Lord. He already knows what we're going to talk to him about. The only thing is he wants us to open up and have that dialogue like any other relationship. We all want to talk to each other. Husbands and wives communicate to the children, to the grandchildren, to the neighbors. It all works that way. Um, however, in doing this, we have to avoid two traps. And trap number one is we must avoid shopping for advice. You know, people come around and say, hey, Rudy, I, I need you to pray for me, and I, I need your advice on this. 
And Rudy will sit there and he'll give it to him. And then he'll leave and he'll go see Pat. Hey, Pat. And ask the same question, expecting a different answer. And if he likes Pat's answer better than he likes Rudy's, then that's the way he's going to go. You know, shopping around. And, and more than one, you know. Like kids do, you know. They'll work mom and dad. Uh, mom, can I go to the movies to ask your dad? And then goes in and asks dad. And dad says something, goes back and forth. Next thing, the kid's in the car going to the movies. You know. So... Um, the second thing is we need to be especially careful of talking to others in a way that puts the problem on other people or laying it on them or a burden. People who aren't there to give their side of the story or blaming it on somebody. You know, I'm, I'm in this situation because this person got me into it. You're better off not doing that because all that's going to do is cause all sorts of problems. So Nehemiah didn't say to the king, I'm sad because those incompetent in Jerusalem have had a hundred years to build the walls and they haven't done anything. They've left it there for a hundred years. That's a long time. Or they are a bunch of hardened, uncaring, worthless people. They're not. They're fellow Jews. They get up every day the same way Nehemiah get up every day, you know. And, and they run into certain things that are similar. So when we are the person whom others ask for prayer or whom others come to help, it's helpful to guard against the temptation and actually want to know all the details. You know, some of them are good enough. Of course, we're interested to hear the details of others' problems, but we don't need to know all the fine points. You know, the Lord will know. The Lord will open us up for prayer that way. Our prayer is still valuable if we don't know all the details. We're not less able to lead them to Jesus, if that's what it is, or into his loving care. You know, God will provide it for both sides, the person that's asking and the person that's praying. Some things need to be talked out more than others, but sometimes we want the other person to talk it out more for us, not for them. Simply lead them in the way that Jesus is showing you to lead them. And this is what we we all should do. So we move along into verses 4 through 8, Nehemiah's request. Then the king said to me, What? Do you request? So I prayed in the God of heaven, or to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my, city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. I thought I got my pages mixed up. Okay. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. He answered it. So furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. He gave the, because the king granted it, he gave the glory to God. So in verse 2 to 4, the king says, what do you request? It's a question. What do you want? What do you need? 
Here we see that God opened the doors for communication with the king. You know, Nehemiah was silent, but he went to prayer before to make sure that he knew what he was going to say was correct. And then the response was, he probably covered that in prayer. He wanted to hear the response of the king. So in verse 2, 4, the, I prayed to the God of heaven. Before Nehemiah replies, he prays. We can do that, you know, any place, at work, on the street. You know, something comes up, somebody asks you something, you go to prayer and then you talk. It doesn't have to be a gigantic prayer. It can just be a short prayer that we seek the advice and the help of the Lord. So once more, we see Nehemiah requesting the Lord for guidance and response. It's a, it's a lesson to us all. So verse 2, 5, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. So Nehemiah's months of prayer, his great faith, his big vision, his wise responses, are all answered positively. You know, God has taken care of things. The king was pleased. He had favor in the, eye, in the eyes of the king. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah was favored by the king, and he had a great liking for him. The king and he had a great relationship. So additionally, in verse 5, we see Nehemiah saying, I ask that you send me to Judah. That's where he wants to go, to the city of my fathers. He's identifying with the people again, that I may rebuild it. So here's the thing. He wants to go and rebuild that city. Doesn't say by himself. He knows he can't do it by himself. It's going to take a number of people. So another wise statement. He respectively asked for a leave of absence and to be sent by the king. Nehemiah's vision was also revealed was in saying that I may rebuild it. I want the permission to go and rebuild it like he would to somebody of importance. He also did not specify Jerusalem. He said Judah, the city of my father's tomb as indirect reference to Jerusalem. Then in verse 2-6, see, the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him. I don't necessarily know what that's in there, but it shows that he was with his wife. How long will you, your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. We see two more questions. How long will your journey be, and when will you return? His reply, I set a time. In other words, he told them. We don't have the details of it, but he said that. He had a spirit-led plan. A spirit-led plan always includes a timeline as God opens the doors to the plan, which is in the response to Lord willing. Whatever God wills will happen. Uh, Psalm 30, uh, Nehemiah 2.7 furthermore says, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. He's going to areas, I'm not sure if the people know him, but there's rulers and leaders all the way. It's an 800-mile trip. And you know, they're not taking Amtrak, okay? They're on a horse. I don't know if Nehemiah had a coach or anything like that, you know. Um, and he has soldiers with him. And it's going to be a pretty slow travel as, as much as the horses can go in a day. So his re, um, so in order to assure a safe passage, he needed letters from the king to pass through to Judea. And the king responded with the letters. And then the king, um, 
with the lettuce. Sorry. In Nehemiah 2.8, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he meant, give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. It's going to take residence there for a while. I was going to build, the house is probably on the ground, like the rest of the stones and rock and all of that stuff, but he's got a, he's thinking ahead of the game. Maybe as they say outside the box in the terminology that people use today. He knew what supplies he needed before he even got to Jerusalem. That's preparation. He needed timber or beams for the citadel temple, the city wall and the house where he will reside. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So Nehemiah says, didn't ask because he wanted to take advantage of the king. Instead, he showed honor and respect to him by inviting him to participate in a worthy work. He knew the king was able to provide things, and he sensed the king's heart was willing, understood that. And so he shows the king how he can do what his willing heart uh, wants to do. Though this was a pagan king, Nehemiah still understood that God can work through him in a mighty way. God can provide for all needs in totally unexpected or unlikely ways. And if we're dealing with people like that, like we work with, they don't know the Lord or anything, and they're doing something with us, and we give the credit to the Lord, it's a great witness. It opens their hearts, and they say, well, it's some amazing things, you know, something that shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, even like dealing with a doctor. When I had my last surgery on my spine, um, I was in the hospital a month, and um, this is in 2017. And I had the greatest neurosurgeon going. I've known him over the years. I've been operating on him a number of times, operating on me, not him. And um, anyhow, when we got it, at the end of the first week, I went to PT, and it opened up. The fluid started coming out, and it was like, wow. But I wanted to go home so bad, I wanted to ignore it. But I couldn't because it was there, you know. And this is come. This is made in your, in your brain, and it goes through your spinal cord and it goes in the loop. And if it doesn't go there, it goes out. And you produce a lot of that, I can tell you, by sitting there and watching the thing go by on a tube. Um, but anyhow, I went back. I was called back, and he operated on me, and he kept me in bed for a week. And he said, Vince, I don't know. There's been so much going on inside your back like that. I'm, I'm really leery about this because I've been told by all the doctors this will not heal. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess I'm not going home tomorrow. So anyhow, I stayed in bed for the week, and they came in and checked me every day, and it st still was leaking a little. And I had the opportunity to tell them, look, this isn't in your hands. This isn't in my hands. This is in God's hands. And we can expect a miracle if God wills. And, you know, every day I was praying, Lord, please, this will be such a great witness. And besides the fact, I need it. I really need it. So at the end of the sixth day, there was no fluid on the, on the bandage. So I said, well, go one more day. So I got that day. And I got released the next day. And I had to see him the day after. I had to go back to Scripps. And it turned out it was a late... Uh, Saturday appointment. 
So he's usually in a hurry, but he wasn't in a hurry. And we were there, and we were talking to him. And he says, uh, yeah, he says, I'm just amazed at how this happened. Bingo. Okay. Why do you think it happened? And he's not a believer. But I said, I'm going to give you something to believe in, and that's God, God's love for his people. I'm a child of God, and you can be a child of God too. He got real nervous. And he never accepted the Lord that day. But every time I've seen him since, there's a little bit more of that relationship building. And I think, you know, maybe he'll be a seeker. Maybe he'll turn around and and find the Lord. But um, this is all the things that we can do, no matter what we have, you know. It doesn't have to be sickness. It can just be the way that God has helped you through life and things like that. And, you know, your witness is is a huge thing. To give to people. And it's, your witness is your witness, not mine or anybody else's. And every witness is huge and important. You've got to remember that. So if God gives you the opportunity and puts you face to face, say, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. Just do like Nehemiah. Lord, I need to know what to say. Amen. And then do it and find out how that works. It's going to work incredible. So the king granted them to me his, his request according to the good hand of my God upon me. Nehemiah didn't ask because he wanted to take advantage of the king. Instead, he respected him. So, in verse 9 and 10, Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. His arrival is there. And also, what happens when we're doing things from the Lord? People come out of the woodwork to try to come against us, right? And it's no different with Nehemiah. We're going to find that out. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. He gave them protection all the way there. You know, he didn't have to do that. But the Lord protects us. When we go into the battle, we're well protected. We have him. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the great three that are standing right behind us. So in Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, officially heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. They were upset about it. So the king was pleased. The king favored Nehemiah and had a great liking for him. Um, Back in verse 5, Nehemiah said, I ask that you send me to Judah in in the tombs that I have to look at that I might rebuild. He respectively asked for a leave of absence. He didn't just go off that way. His vision was huge, and he, and he didn't specify Jerusalem. He said Judah, the city. I know I mentioned that before. But going ahead, we, we actually see here in Nehemiah 2.9 that he actually went the 800 miles from, from Persia to Jerusalem to do the work of rebuilding the walls. Just took off. Many people have a heart touch like Nehemiah. They may also have the heart for prayer the wisdom of a vision, the plan and the faith of Nehemiah. But they stop short of actually going out and doing what needs to be done for the goal to become a rest. You have to take that step. You know, what's going to happen then? Don't worry about it. God's going to help you out. He's going to be right beside you. Sometimes we substitute talking about something. We can talk a good talk, you know, about something for actually doing it. I'm really good for this. This is one of my four qualities. It is one thing to stand around with other believers and talk about doing something 
like evangelism or praying about it, planning it, talking about it. It's another thing to actually go out and do it. Move out. God is in the doing of the thing. He's in it. You don't have to be afraid of it. So our spiritual enemies sometimes don't don't mind as long as all we're doing is planning and getting ready and all of that. But once we start doing something is when they start coming out of the woodwork and things begin to happen. We shouldn't get discouraged. So the river that's referenced in here is the river Euphrates. It's a dividing line between where they came from and where they're going, basically, into Canaan. Uh, Nehemiah also had protection of the army and the horsemen. In verse 10, he introduces us to two individuals who would be troublemakers who rose up in the opposition to Nehemiah, and they're going to be around for a while. These two cared nothing as long as Jerusalem was weak and vulnerable, even though the temple was there and there were sacrifices probably going on, and as long as the people of God were not strong and secure and free from, you know, they, they just didn't, didn't bother with it. But now notice when the opposition came at the heart stage, when the heart is in it, not at the vision stage, not at the prayer stage, not at the planning stage, but when progress came in doing something, they came out of the woodwork and they're going to stand in front of you. But God will show us the way in every action that can ever come against you. Some people fear even stepping out because they know opposition will come. They have anxiety or something. You know, they don't want to have that thing happen. They somehow think their life will be better or easier if they stay away from stepping out and live in a whole lifetime Instead of doing the things that God asked, they sit back and say, well, you know, I'm doing most of it. But he wants us to do all of it and move out in the service to him. It's a key element. Um, And it's also a better life um, in serving the Lord than holding back. Look at all the blessings that we get for doing things and, and being around people and encouraging other people to do. So tough times are going to come anyways in your life. You may as well be out there doing something for the Lord. Tough times are going to be there. But when when we're uh, growing and stepping forth in the Lord, because we will grow more, he stretches us out and we grow. We're far more equipped to deal with tough times all over our life. You know, you go in the missions field. Pastor Bill has talked about it. It's not easy. You know, it's going to a different place, different eating schedule, different food. Different people have been brought up different ways. Um, you're bringing a word that they might not like to hear. There's, there's Buddhists out there. There's Muslims out there. There's all sorts of people that have learned different things. But God takes care of that. So in verses 11 through 16, Nehemiah makes a secret tour of Jerusalem and the walls. He goes out at night. And he doesn't tell anybody he's going. He's doing a recon mission. Okay. And typically in recon, you go out at night and you view the enemy. You might not engage with them, but you know exactly where they are, get a count, get a place so that the rest of the guys with you can go and take care of business the next day. So in Nehemiah 2, 11 and 12, we say, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night and I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I wrote. So when Nehemiah 
into Jerusalem with the military escort. Don't think the people weren't looking at him and all the supplies and everything else. People would notice him. They'd be watching him. But they had to go to bed at night, right? So in the under nighttime is the time he went out to view what was going on, get the look at the wall, get the look at the structures and the and the doors and stuff. So good leaders learn a sense of God's timing. God always gives us a timing. Sometimes you want to say something to somebody, but mm-mm. the God kind of says, no, it's not. This isn't the right time. And then when you're least expecting, when you're with that person, a group of people, he says, uh, go ahead. So you should pray. Okay, Lord, what, what is it exactly you want me to say? Wait a second and go ahead. So he said he told no one. Uh, Red Path said, it's good to have Christian friends, but it's dangerous to wear your heart on your sleeve. Have a secret place somewhere where nobody knows anything but you and God. We all should have a place where we go and talk to God in quiet. You know, I know people that go out in their backyard every morning. The stars are still out. But they're praying and they're reading the word and, and the growth and something like that's tremendous. So Nehemiah probably had that kind of relationship with the Lord too, where he had a one-on-one quietly away. Um, you'll often find it best not to commit your plans to others because people get things wrong. You know, like the first kid in the first seat in the first row, tell them something, the last kid in the last seat in the last row. That message that went in here didn't come out the same over here. And that happens. Tried it before. If you want to serve God, go and do it. Just do it. Then let other people find it out afterwards. Say, oh, look what happened. Look what Nehemiah did with the group of people that he went with. You have no need to tell what you're doing to do. And there's no need for you retelling what you've done either after the fact, like bragging about it. Oh, look what I did. You know, pat yourself on the back. That isn't the way it goes. Spurgeon said, you have no need to tell what you are doing. And I may add, there's no need for you retelling what you've done. For very, very frequently, God withdraws himself when we boast of what is being done. That's where pride comes in. The opposite is humility. Nehemiah was a man of humility. So in verses 13 and 14, and I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall and the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. So it seems that Nehemiah set out from the west side of the city, turned south, and then continuing counterclockwise, came back to where he started. He carefully viewed the broken down walls and burnt gates. You know, he did an audit. He's out there looking. He's looking at details. He's taking them down one by one by one. So the Hebrew word viewed here is sabar. And it's found in the verses 213 and 215. And it's a medical term for probing a wound to see the extent of its damage. In other words, that's how close. He's just not looking at a piece of rock or a burnt piece of wood. He's looking beyond that, all of the details. Nehemiah could have fo- focused on that all day long. Uh, they were back in Judah. The forced exile was over. 
The temple was built, sacrifice and worship were conducted. Could have been satisfied with that. Progress was being made, slow as it was. But there was so much more to be thankful for in Jerusalem. But sometimes we've got to look what's wrong to understand what we can get right. So with the right heart, hearts ready to act, we have hearts ready to take an honest look and not underscore it. Just look and see what the details are. In verse 16, and the officials um, did not know where I had gone or what I had done. Before he met with the officials, priests, nobles, and other people, all in the background, who will do the work, Nehemiah took time to count the cost before starting the project. He was fully prepared in what he needed. We have to count the cost for what we do in, in life. Even in business, you count the cost of making certain decisions. Can I make it today or do I make it next year? Or maybe I should have made it last year. You know, you look at that and say, you know, these are the things. And this is the mind that Nehemiah had. He had a heart. He had faith. He had a vision. But before that vision can become a reality, he has to exactly see what it has to be. What are the details? You know, and, and God will, will prepare him for that. What has to be done? And there is a cost in time, effort, money, and leadership, even to bring people together. So in verse 17 and 18, Nehemiah meets with the leaders of Jerusalem. In verse 17, it says, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and the gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that you may no longer uh, be a reproach. Let's change the attitude of the people that are around of the nation of Israel at this point in time. You can see the distress you're in. The citizens and leaders of Jerusalem were not sitting around waiting for a superman to come along and rebuild their walls. They weren't. They were content with it being down. It's all probability they had come to accept it. It was there for a hundred years. You know, it's like anything. You know, sometimes we look by things. I'll get to that. And three years later, that thing's still sitting there. It's like, wow, how did that happen? So years ago when someone, someone tried, people came back to build the walls before Nehemiah. The enemy stopped them and they gave up. They didn't have the right plan. God perhaps wasn't in it. Nehemiah owned the problem as his. And that's the thing we got to do is own our problems. Nehemiah didn't play the blame game, start criticizing leaders or pointing fingers. But where he did go, uh, he went to all his problems, to God, to the Lord, one by one by one by one. That's like any problem in our lives we habitually try to fix by ourselves. Things can happen. You know, we fall back, we backslide, whatever. It won't get fixed till we give it to him. You own it, Lord. You got it. Show me what to do. Show me how to make it work. And, let him, and don't get discouraged along the way. Let him show us what has to be done to eliminate the problem. And in verse 18, um, Nehemiah wisely encouraged them in the Lord, saying, I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. In other words, everything that I know and I'm doing, I got from God. He gave it to me. Wow. You know, um, and they're like, probably their jaws dropped. You know, they're looking at him like, wow. This guy's a smart guy or, you know, maybe this is a good leader. And he's trying now, he's making the case of getting them to go to work. 
So Nehemiah assumed the leaders, uh, assured the leaders this wasn't his project. It's not my project, it's God's project, so let's get behind it. Everything we do is God's project, you know. Operation Christmas Child, I can remember that every year. It starts the day after the boxes are delivered. You know, it takes a long time. And look at the response and look at the leadership that's been done with that. You know, that's something that we, that's done in this church. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens because it's, it's there, it's presented to the Lord, it's put in prayer. So Nehemiah gave them confidence by telling them God had already done with him and the king. Look what he's done for me, look what he did for the king. So now comes the response from the local people and the leaders. So they said, let's rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. It's like a, a team going into a, a game. You get the kids round and you, all right, what are we going to do? We're going to win. We're going to what? We're going to win. You know, and they're like, yeah, high five. And they go out. That's the way we've got to be for God. We've got to be, a, it's got to be that great. It can't be like, oh, yeah, let's go. No, 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 no. It's got to be there. It's got to be like emotional. It's got to be, we're doing this and we're doing it together. So, in verse 19, we hear about Sanballat and Tobiah. And up to this point, things had been going extraordinarily well. So we're not surprised that opposition came up again. Spiritual opposition to God's work is a reality all the time. Spiritual warfare. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, took it on humanity to experience that kind of warfare. He did it while he was on earth in the three years that he was you know, in his ministry, and he was on the cross, and he died for us, and he rose again. He understands all of that. He knows what it is to be under attack. Look what they did on the night, you know, going to the Garden of Gethsemane. A man who did nothing to these people except exhort them and, 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 and give them the word. But they just wanted to de- destroy him. The week before, they were calling him the king, riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. Fickle. One week later, coming against them. So we need to gird our loins. We need to know what spiritual war is all about. So who are these two guys? It's kind of interesting who they are, where they came from. Tobiah is a Jewish name, was a man of influence, being associated with the high priest and getting help from the priest. So he was one of them. Tobiah means was a prominent uh, name in priestly families for generations to come. The name Tobiah means Yahweh is good. This guy's going the other way. He's going against Yahweh. He's going his way. So a strange name for a man who was an opponent of the work of God is, is Tobias. So Sanballat was connected by marriage to, to priestly families. We find that out later in Nehemiah chapter 13. An ancient document from this period refers to Sanballat as the governor of Samaria. So operation, uh, opposition is always difficult, but when it comes from brothers and sisters in the Lord, it's really, it really hurts. It's a mixed pain of, of pain and, and betrayal that can happen. And uh, Ephesians 6 and 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual armies of wickedness in heavenly places. There's wars going on out there in the middle of things. However, we have to realize the attacks from spiritual enemies 
can come through flesh and blood people, too. They can come against us. We can experience spiritual attack on a direct, inward level or through people who are wittingly or unwittingly being used as tools by our spiritual enemies. You know, they, they try to do things to come against us. Finally, verse 20, Nehemiah's answer to his opponents. So he answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage, no right or memorial. Nehemiah ignored their scorn, didn't listen to it. When faced with the choice of pleasing man or pleasing God, Nehemiah knew exactly what he would do. Let them mock. He'll serve the Lord. Uh, After a while, you have no ear for it. You can't even hear it. So Nehemiah proclaimed the truth about his enemies. But their hearts showed that they had no heritage and right to the memorial and work that they couldn't join because they were the enemy. The opposition did not immediately melt away. And we see that things went on in many chapters after this, but um, it didn't, with these two, they didn't accomplish anything. These two opposed the work all the way, but they didn't stop it. They tried to get in the way of it, but they were run over like a freight train. So some things to think about as we close in today's study. Remember, we're all leaders in the body of Christ. We're all members of the body of Christ. We all have different parts in that. And remember who the greatest leadership qualities of Nehemiah and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, also. An example of what we need to be as men and women in the body of Christ, and i got a few of them. Um, We need to be godly and humble in character, for sure. We need to have a burden and concern for God's people and their suffering. See, just don't ignore it. We need to be in service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for the service he's called us to, once he calls us out. We need to use discretion in making our decisions and give it to the Lord before making those decisions. We need to handle opposition in a biblical and godly manner. Where did Nehemiah go? He went to God. Be an encourager to the people God has called us to in service or ministry. He encouraged the people to go out and build. And we will notice in chapter 3, somewhere down the road, that he gathered families and groups, gate by gate and wall by wall. And and Jerusalem's a big city. It's got a big wall. Be a man or woman of vision and goals, seeing the big picture. Confront and be vigilant against those opponents who come against what God has set up. Don't be afraid to speak to them. Have, have courageous resolve in the face of opponents and enemies. It's God's strength that he's given it to me. As long as I got that, I'm there. We can win the battle. Having absolute faith in God, absolute is total. Not a portion of it or a part of it, but absolute. And finally, finishing the wall, the Lord has called you to build and give him the glory, the honor, and the praise. What he's called us. He's called us all to build some kind of wall. We just have to find out what that is. So we're going to have communion this morning. Um, I've got to get another piece of paper here. Um, what we're going to do is something a little different this morning. We're going to let the word of God speak to us. And... It's all about the Word of God anyways, okay? So in the first part of it, 
when we take the uh, the bread, we're going to talk from uh, Isaiah chapter 52 in the last three verses. We're going to put that up so everybody can read it as I read it at the same time, and then we'll take the first portion, okay? But right now, I think that the... Uh, we, we get up now, and we come forward, and we start picking up the... Uh, the implements down here in front. So you know the routine and the way we do it, so andiamo. <laughs> 